and welcome to our final session in our study of the afterlife. In today's lesson, Kay will teach us what the Bible says being in heaven will be like, and then how those truths can impact our lives today. When I first took this class, I realized that in over 20 years of being a believer in Jesus, I had never made the connection between the promise of heaven and the choices I make every day. To me, heaven was a reality I'd experience after I died. I had never learned that what I will experience then can have a dramatic impact on how I live now. It was a transforming revelation for me. Let's join Kay now for the second half of Afterlife Part 2. Well, what will heaven be like? There are six truths that will bring you joy. Let me read to you a portion of an article about heaven from a very unlikely magazine, Entertainment Weekly. Considering the explosion of movies about heaven and hell, the article asks the question in its title, whose afterlife is it anyway? Secular visions of heaven and hell are becoming as commonplace at the Metroplex as three-hour running times. Yet as the movies move toward the light, they're creating their own peculiar cinematic catechism. Hollywood's answers add up to a touchy-feely, shrewdly, all-inclusive, slightly warped version of spirituality featuring to die for angels and special effects that have a pottery barn burnish. Perhaps as a result of the namby-pamby pluralism, shaky metaphysics, and do-it-yourself salvation, these films have a way of troubling some theologians. I guess so. So here's a little tip that will serve you well in life. Don't get your theology from movies. Oh, you'll find a kernel of truth every now and again, but they're few and far between. You want to know something? The real truth about heaven is more amazing than anything Hollywood could ever dream up and put on film. Even if it were written exactly right, the best we could display on a movie set would be a very pale imitation of the truth about the afterlife. Heaven is not some ethereal place where you stand on a cloud all day, all day long and play a harp. It's a very material place filled with a beauty that you and I can only begin to imagine. Heaven is not dull. It is not static. It is not monochrome. It is an endless dynamic of joy in which one is ever more oneself as one was meant to be. Heaven is reality itself. What is not heaven is less real. Read Psalm 1611 with me. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Among the dozens and dozens of joys that we could talk about that, we, that will be a part of eternity in heaven, let's take just a few moments to look at just six. We've looked at many of these in earlier studies, but I want to touch on them again simply as a reminder of what heaven will be like. I have to tell you that heaven has become infinitely more precious to me since the sudden death of my 27-year-old Matthew a few years ago. It's no longer theory or something that I never think about. I think about heaven every single day. Heaven and all that it promises is my dearest hope. And I may cry some as I talk about heaven. I hope you'll forgive me and not be too uncomfortable with my emotion. I want you to know that most of my tears represent two different emotions. The sadness of the temporary separation that death brings, mixed with tears of longing and anticipation of what is ahead, they're actually tears of hope. Well, the first of the six joys that we're going to experience in heaven is holiness. Jude 1:24 says, And now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and who will bring you into his glorious presence 
innocent of sin and with great joy. I want you to circle that phrase, innocent of sin. Can you imagine this? Finally, a life free from the heavy burden, the weight and the pain of sin. 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, now we are children of God and we have not yet been so shown what we will be in the future. But we know that when Christ comes again, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is. Circle the phrase, be like him. We will not be the same people in heaven as we are in earth. I mean, we'll still be human beings. We don't become gods, but we'll be like Jesus. In our heart and in our character, we will be completely like him. I don't know about you, but as much as I might have grown as a Christian, that still is very different from the person I am today. And I am looking forward to that day when I will become a new person. The second joy that we is promised to us in heaven is a glorified body. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. 2 Corinthians 5.4 says, For while we are in this tent, this body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. It's really good to be reminded that we are one day going to have a glorified body. I mean, most of us get pretty excited about this heavenly benefit. We talk on a superficial level initially, you know, like how much weight we want to lose in heaven, how much more beautiful or handsome we want to be, how grateful we are that food will have no calories. But when we really stop and allow ourselves to be vulnerable, some might say, what a relief it will be to not hurt physically anymore, to not have the limitations of this earthly body. Because in heaven, with the glorified body, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear. It almost overwhelms me to think of the noise of people screaming with delight to be able to walk again, to run, to jump, to move freely, to see clearly without glasses, to have amputated limbs restored, for broken minds distorted by mental illness to be healed. After my son Matthew died and who had struggled with mental illness most of his life, a friend whispered in my ear, the next time you see him, he will run to greet you whole and in his right mind. Oh yes, a new glorified body sounds really good to me. The third joy that awaits us in heaven is immortality. Revelation 21.4 says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Circle that phrase, no more death. 1 Corinthians 15.53 says, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. No more death, immortality, no more tears or crying or pain. The old order where decay and death reigned 
passed away forever. Instead, a place of constant renewal, always fresh, always vibrant with life. See, heaven isn't just forever. It's a place where we live, truly live forever. No boredom, no cynicism or jaded attitudes, each day better than the one before. No pinnacle, because it never reaches the end. That's more than my finite brain can even begin to fathom. The fourth joy that is promised to us in heaven is satisfaction of all of our needs. Revelation 7:16. never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. I wonder what we'll eat in heaven. I suppose we wouldn't have to eat if we didn't want to, or it even wouldn't even be heaven. But we know that Jesus sat down to a couple of meals while he was in his resurrected body. So there's at least the possibility that we'll eat in heaven. But more seriously, think about this. To never hunger and never thirst is a picture of the fact that all of our needs will always be met. And it's not just that we'll be filled, we won't even get hungry. There will never again be that sensation of lack or incompleteness. All of those whose bellies were never full, whose thirst was never satiated, those who toiled in the heat of the sun, the extreme cold with cardboard for a dwelling, those who lived here in slavery, forced to work for next to nothing, trying to repay a debt that they could never get rid of. Those who never knew earthly affluence or plenty. Those days will be done forever, behind them, belonging to another existence. Those who had physical satisfaction but hungered for meaning and who spent their days aching for things they couldn't even clearly identify. Heaven means never in want again. The fifth joy of heaven that is promised to us is sharing of Christ's glory. Romans 8, 17 says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Circle the phrase, heirs of God. You and I will share in the inheritance of God's son, Jesus Christ. That has to be one of the most surprising joys of heaven. For all of us, it would be more than enough to just be in heaven with Jesus. You know, I've never met a person who had the attitude, I'm not going to heaven unless I get a cut of Jesus' inheritance. Yet for all of us who would be overwhelmed, even at the privilege of being in heaven, God adds the lavish grace of sharing in the glory of his son. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure what this means, but at the very least, it means that all belongs to Jesus, all that belongs to Jesus will belong to me. And I can't wait to see what that will look like to be a co-heir with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And then the sixth joy that is promised to us in heaven is intimate fellowship with God and other believers. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I want you to circle the phrase fully known. 
we will be fully known and fully loved. You already are fully known and fully loved by God. But in heaven, you'll experience it in a completely new way. I suppose I'm looking forward to this one most of all. I've always been a highly relational person who seeks emotional intimacy and gets frustrated by the limitations in communication here on earth. So this has been a deep longing for me for decades. But since so many dear ones I love are already in heaven ahead of me, it has taken on a different urgency and a longing. I can't wait to see my dad, to see Rick's parents, his brother, my grandparents, my son. To be with them again is my dearest hope. To have unbroken communication with God and with those I love. Yes, please, hurry up, Jesus. One of the ways to make it through the realities of life here on this broken, busted planet is to remember that this life is not all there is and that it's not the best that can be. We watch a bunch of smelly, middle-aged men sitting around a campfire, clicking their beer bottles and saying, it doesn't get any better than this. Well, I hope it does. And you know what? It does. Say that with me. Especially those of you, if you're not sure this is true, say it out loud, say the words, it does get better than this. I encourage you to write these words on a card, to put in your wallet or purse, ready to pull it out at just the right moment like on the freeway in a traffic jam, waiting in line at the airport to say it on the days when everything is unraveling at the seams, to be able to say it when you've just received some terrible news from the doctor, to say it when you're standing by the grave of someone you dearly love. It does get better than this. God will one day take us home. We will be like Jesus. There will be no more death. Our bodies will be immortal. Every need will be met. We will be fully known and we will fully know each other. One more thing. Pick the best day you'll have next year, the one where everything goes perfectly. And on that day, remember, it will get better than even this. Well, how can heaven, these incredible joys awaiting us, how can heaven affect my life now? Philip Yancey writes this. He says a strange fact about modern American life. Although 89% of us, according to George Gallup, believe in an afterlife, no one much talks about it. Christians believe that we will spend eternity in a splendid place called heaven. Isn't it a little bizarre that we simply ignore heaven, acting as if it doesn't matter? He's right, you know. We often act as if heaven is for later, I have to find the strength to get through today. Our mistake is forgetting or never even knowing that the truth of heaven is essential to making it through the realities of this life today. C.S. Lewis wrote, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It is because Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So how can thoughts of heaven impact you and me today? Let's look at five specific, specific areas quickly that can affect our lives now by being heavenly minded. First of all, the hope of heaven provides the motivation for evangelism. 
John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, this is what God told us. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, but whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The truth of heaven is one of the ways that we break through that natural discomfort most of us have when it comes to sharing our faith. Because for many of us, it's difficult to talk about deeply personal and very important issues. And there's nothing more important than the truth of our salvation. And to break through that reticence, remember what you were offering people, an eternity of joy. Suppose with me for a moment that you have a friend who suffers from cancer and you read in a magazine and you come across an article that says that there's this new cure that has been found for that form of cancer and that cure is 100% effective. Well, what would you do? Would you fail to tell your friend for fear that he or she might not believe you? Would you keep it to yourself because you couldn't answer all the questions they might have about this new treatment? Would you wait to tell them until a more convenient time? Would you pray that maybe they might stumble across the same article? Would you hesitate to tell them because they might think you were being judgmental about their cancer? Well, none of the above. You would run, not walk to tell your friend. You wouldn't be able to wait to tell them the news. One of the reasons that all of us, including me, fail to tell the good news is that we've forgotten how good the good news really is. You are sharing with people God's offer to give us eternal life. Secondly, the hope of heaven can lead to wise use of finances. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them and where thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. How do you store treasure in heaven? You invest as much as you can in the things that will last. People's salvation, growth in Christian character, life-changing ministries, the things that will endure beyond this life. Do you remember that old saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead? Sometimes investing in eternity means giving away what you have to serve others. Other times it means using what you have, your house, your car, your possessions to serve others. Third, the hope of heaven can change the way I live today when it causes me to serve the needy. Matthew 25, 35 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's striking that in Matthew 25, the rewards in heaven are handed out to those who care for the unnoticed in this world. It's our unfortunate habit to talk 
and plan and strategize more about meeting those needs than to actually take the step to do something and meet a need. In the light of eternity, who do you and I need to notice this week? When I was in college, I ran across this poem by a man named Bob Rowland. I have never forgotten it. I remember as crystal clear of the day I read it, and when I read it today, it still pierces my heart. Listen to this. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your help. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I am still very hungry and lonely and cold. Thank you. So do this in the name of Jesus. It is counted as doing it unto him. The fourth way that heaven can make a difference in our lives today is it gives us endurance in suffering. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul says, so we do not give up, our physical bodies becoming older and weaker, but our spirit inside of us is made new every day. We have small troubles for a while now, but they are helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. We set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. What we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. The early believers often looked to the hope of heaven for the strength to endure the suffering and persecution they faced on a regular basis. Instead of feeling that God owed them freedom from suffering on this earth, they recognized that any pain that we face here is minuscule compared to the glory that God is preparing for us. Listen to the message paraphrase of this same passage. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without His unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. And fifth, the hope of heaven has a way of easing the anxieties that we experience now. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, Since you became alive again, so to speak, when Christ arose from the dead, now set your sights on the rich treasures and joys of heaven where he sits beside God in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. William Barclay said it this way, it's easy for a man to be so busy with things of time that he forgets the things of eternity, to be so preoccupied with the things which are seen that he forgets the things that are unseen, to hear so insistently the claims of the world that he cannot hear the soft invitation of the voice of Christ. Let's get really practical for a moment. How in the world do you set your eyes on what you cannot see? How do I fit this big a truth into my daily life? 
go around having heavenly visions all day? If you had the vacation of a lifetime planned for next July, would you wait until July to think about it? Of course not. You would make preparations to go and you would look forward to your trip. That's exactly how we look forward to heaven. We make preparations to go and we look forward to that day. As we close, here are some practical ways to let heaven fill your thoughts, ways for you to act on the truth. God's word repeatedly instructs us to shift our focus from earthly matters to focus on God's perspective. I wanna challenge you to take seven minutes at the beginning or end of the day for a week to focus on these seven truths. His plan for me will never change. My salvation is safe and secure in heaven where nothing can destroy it. When he comes for me, I will go with him to the home he carefully and lovingly has been preparing for me. Nothing, nothing can ever separate me from his love. No pain, no suffering, no tragedy, no hardship, no demon, no horrible mistake on my part, nothing. I am to spend my days learning to love him and to trust him. I am to be his arms and hands of compassion to fellow human beings. And someday I will join millions of other believers at his throne and together we will worship him. We will sing with the angels in Revelation 5:12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. God, to have our hearts filled with the hope of heaven sometimes is a jarring thought because we're so caught up in this day, in this moment, in the feel of the chair under our legs, the feel of a pen in our hand as we take notes, the whisper of the air conditioning in the room, whether it's cold or hot, what we're doing after we leave this meeting, what yet is on our to-do list, what's happening tomorrow, whether I have a headache as I sit here, what's happening with my children, what's going on in my marriage, do I have enough money to make it to the end of this month? God, so much of this world fills our thoughts, consumes us, and yet you've told us that we're to live with heaven in our minds, that heaven is to be held in front of our faces, not as a place of judgment, but a place of reward, a place where all tears are gone, where all lack is met, where there are no more needs, where there's not any unfulfillment, where there are no lonely people, no one's hungry or thirsty, no one hurts, no one is in pain, no one has struggled, no one is dominated by anyone else, no one is living with a sense of that nothing matters. God, all of that will be behind us and to live with that in front of us. May that be what drives us this week, but drives us in a good way, not through guilt, but through hope. God, make us people of hope, people who infuse hope into others as we share with him the incredible good news of your salvation, of the incredible good news that there is something better, that there's nothing in this life, nothing, not our best day, not our best circumstance, not our best happening, nothing in this world compares to what is ahead. May that be the way that we live every day, 
loving the people that were with here, serving them, using our time and our money and our attention for their good, but oh, so filled with the hope and the certainty of what you have promised to us and for us and what awaits us in our heavenly home. May we walk each day with joy in our hearts, joy on our faces as we walk together toward home. In Jesus' name I pray. The more I learn about heaven, the more excited I get about it. Even more so, as more and more people I love go there ahead of me, the more I long to be there and be reunited with them. I loved Kay's challenge at the end of this lesson, and I encourage you to really do it. If you're following along in the workbook, it's the acting on the truth box at the end of the lesson. I'm so glad you joined us for the study of the afterlife. Have a great small group discussion.